tuned to North Fork Works, and I'm Hazel Kahn. Today, I have two people that I'm introducing to you, which is unusual for me. They are Agat Snow and Anthony Holbrook. They are mushroom farmers. They're also artists, sculptors in particular. They're also my neighbors. And I have asked them if they would tell us about their mushroom farm, which is called Matatuck Mushrooms. So Anthony and Agat, welcome to North Fork Works. Thanks. Thank you for having us. Yeah, I'd be happy to have you. Tell us a little bit about how you came to be both mushroom farmers and artists. I guess that's the wrong way around. You're first artist. Still, you're still artist. It's all one thing. It's all one thing. We are artists and mushroom farmers, both of us. And we came here about 10 years ago on the North Fork. We came to the North Fork. Maybe it's more accurate to say I followed a got to the North Fork where she had family and she was looking for a large space to prepare her big show at the Guggenheim in Berlin called All Access World. Yes. All Access World. It was almost 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And a guy's relationship was pretty new then. But she had her mother and her brother out here and she needed a big space to assemble sculptures. One thing led to the next and we had a baby and our son was born. And that's when Agat and I moved here full time when we bought a home. Does that sound right? That's right. So how did the mushrooms happen? About four years ago, my sister Anna Paru of Mushrooms NYC bought a farm in the city, a little uh, in the back of an apartment in Brooklyn, a mushroom farm. And it was so tiny that they could not uh, wait for the mushroom rocks to do more than one flush of mushrooms. So they would grow it once and then they would bring it here. So for a whole year, we had mushrooms growing everywhere and realized which ones grew where at which time of the year. And then the pandemic happened and um, Anne and her family got stuck in New Mexico and could not take care of, her, of their farm. Anthony was already uh, selling their mushrooms at the market in Riverhead. And so it just came naturally that we, since we knew they were growing perfectly here, that we would bring all their equipment here and keep growing the farm until they could come back to the North Fork. Well, unfortunately, the pandemic wreaked havoc on their business. And so we slowly switched to growing our mushroom, their mushrooms out here. We went from growing very few mushrooms as a hobby to growing up to a hundred pounds a week. So over the, from the start of the pandemic, where we were just growing alongside a got sister, really as a hobby and as a adjunct to their farm in the city, along with the people in the city who moved out to the North Fork in great numbers. So the clientele and the restaurants that closed in the city and the clientele from the city moved to the North Fork at the very same time that we're learning to grow. And I would say there's three critical things that were essential to us getting to where we are relatively quick, which was one, a got sister, mushrooms.nyc and the fact that we just literally grew out of their business the second thing would be the local farming community we couldn't have done it without iras from kk's and carol at eight hands and the zilnicki family not just as 
places to sell our mushrooms, but they learned so much. We've learned so much. They've been so generous with their knowledge, but even their materials, like old greenhouse materials and our philosophy for building stuff is what they call upcycle, or you might call it stingy, but we try to spend nothing on materials. And we got most of the materials to grow, build our grow rooms from the local farmers on the North Fork. Especially Stu, Ira at Kekes. We and really Stu and Mimi at, uh, at the tip of, uh, of the island. Mm-hmm. We have, you know, a very tight community here, which is, you know, my art grew out from building community. It was always about building community, building things together and creating moments. So this, besides my sculptural work, there was always a community aspect to it all. And I found this here with the farming community and, and working with Anthony, which has been really quite wonderful. Every one of those places sells our mushrooms. Mm-hmm. And they are the core of our business, but they're also the core of our community and yeah, our yeah. knowledge base out here. I would add one other important ingredient besides hard work and luck, which is the land itself. We're adjacent to Laurel Lake, as you know, and you know how pristine the water is there. And in fact, it's not a lake, it's a kettle hole. And that means it has glacier melt water and we use water from a well. The aquifer is down below. Yeah. And so we believe that while we'd love to take a lot of the credit, I think the water and the local land and the community certainly deserves Mm much of the credit and we're grateful for it. Tell our listeners some physical things. When I came to visit your farm, and and right now we're talking over Zoom for various technical reasons, but when I came to visit you, I was amazed that there were the, I guess they're, you call them greenhouses? They're sort of gigantic structures. What are they? We are ultra low tech. The amount of technology we use is really next to none. We use a fogger, which is just a glorified humidifier, which calling a greenhouse or a grow room is simply a room that heats up the light and captures the CO2 because the three pillars of growing mushrooms are humidity, temperature, and CO2. Unlike many great mushroom growers, organic mushroom growers, but they do it different. Many of them will grow indoors in totally controlled environments. You say, what's the ideal conditions to grow, for example, shiitake mushroom? Mm -hmm. Uh, We grow lots of. You'll see that it's between, you know, 72 degrees and, and 85 degree humidity and CO2 between 800 and 1200. Most growers will take those numbers and set their grow room to the ideal conditions and then leave it there 24-7. A gut and eyes philosophy is not do that. We don't try to make the ideal. We try to stay as close to the natural conditions as possible, which is we heat it as little as possible. We air condition as little as possible. We alter the environment as little as possible. But the real truth is also we change the varieties with the se- with the seasons, so during that year that we were studying the the used blocks, we realized that some m- mushroom varieties grow best in May, April, you know, at seventy degrees. Others grow better with even more heat, less humidity, and then some grow better in the winter time. And so we've been basically adjusting to that every two a couple months or so. 
we just change the blocks to the season, you know, to the weather patterns of that moment. And so, well, for example, in the summertime, most of everything grows outdoors too. Granted, we're a small operation. Our mushrooms are not cheap. Our goal is not to maximize the quantity of our harvest, even if it's organic. Our goal is to grow the best mushrooms we can in the most natural environment. And sometimes we get a little less of a harvest. If you grow outside, you're going to get less of a harvest most of the time. And as Agat said, we can get a lot done by simply changing the variety. In a 12-month year, we grow almost over 10, I think, varieties. And at any given moment, we grow between five and seven. But only a couple of those strains grow year-round. For example, pink oysters only grow for the hottest months in the summer. Black pearl oysters, winter mushroom. King trumpet, winter mushroom, doesn't work in the summer unless you want to put a lot of money into air conditioning the room, which we choose not to. Blue oyster, lion's mane, and shiitake grow very well year-round for us. Let me just go back again to the structures. I would say they're all one of a kinds, first of all, because I built them with the GATS help from scratch, from no design plan other than we thought they would grow great. So there is no Google blueprint for this. We followed our instincts, the location. We have four acres and we started by picking a location. The footprint of our three grow rooms is not more than maybe 20 by 10 feet each of them, 20 by 10 feet, mm. you know, ceiling and some, one of them I can touch the other one, the ceilings maybe 20 feet tall. Uh, and they're not like greenhouses. I dug holes like some Neolithic construction. I dug post holes, stuck wood poles into the ground about two feet. The brick floor you say was laid down is actually just laid down by me and other people with recycled paving bricks. Then we took metal poles from the old grow room that are used in restaurants, actually, a type of metal. And we use much of the wood from a renovation project. And for windows, it's very important to vent your mushroom room. It cannot be completely closed. You have to vent it periodically a couple of times a day. And we built in windows from a project of renovation on the house. We took the old windows and the old doors and we attached them. Even the the roof, is, which is covered in normal greenhouse plastic, was recycled from our dear friend Carol Sullivan from Gramercy Vineyards. Vineyards. So each of these structures is a different thing, which is the impression I got when I saw you. I didn't know what all these things were. Now I understand they really are just something you made up as you went along. It's not a gigantic sort of industrial plan that you're looking no. at over here. You know, we wouldn't probably do that well, but that is not our goal. So you said 100 pounds of mushrooms a week, you said? It's a week, probably more than that when the, all the conditions are aligned, which is, mm-hmm. you know, obviously fall and late spring. That's kind of yeah. a bare minimum. I'm getting an understanding now of, of the dimensions of, of all of this. Other than the construction and the actual growing conditions, 
How did you learn the restoration? Google. <laughs> and a lot of books. And trial and, and error. And, tri- and trial and error. And just looking. And I, that one year of mushrooms growing, you know, on their own. I mean, the mushrooms teach you everything. If you pay attention, they're doing all the work. If they don't grow with the conditions we give them, sometimes I, we just put it outside. And if you're patient, no matter what, they will grow. So those blocks that I, we want to start with is basically is inoculated grain. For all the blocks, it's the same thing. You inoculate the grain with the different spores that you want to cultivate, and you mix that with the the wood that each one of these mushrooms would prefer to grow with. Once you have that going, the wood mix with the inoculated grain, which is the grain is really fast food for mushroom spores. So you grow lots of mycelium. You mix that with a broken, you know, very thin wood, like wood dust. So that's your substrate. And then uh, that's the wood. The wood mix is a substrate. And then basically you could start with a pressure cooker or, you know, hot steam to kill out all the other bacteria or invasive species with hot steam. And then um, you let them sit for a while until the mycelium covers the whole substrate and these bags made out of cellulose. And then once you get let the air in, the mushrooms will grow wherever air is coming in. Describe the block again. So what I saw was it's, it's about, about 12 inches cube. Yeah, they're all 10 pounds. 10 pounds. They are how we grow the mushrooms. We have some that are three and four years old, just still growing out there. Mm-hmm. Some we compost and others we just put out front and let them grow on their own time. So this is one thing you do have to buy. There's no upcycling of, of those blocks. No, there's no right. upside to the block. Agat Snow and Anthony Holbrook are talking about growing mushrooms on their Matatuck Mushrooms Farm. This is North Fork Works and Hazel Kahn on WPKN Radio. The mushroom business has three main components. First is the spore. So you have the liquid spore, the culture. The second, the substrate, what is basically the soil. What is soil to a plant? Mm-hmm. You could think of it as the stand-in for the rotting log. It's a little looser and lighter, and the mycelium can kind of colonize it faster mm-hmm. than if it were true tree log. And that'll come around in about 18 months. That's not a commercial way. It's a hobby I, way to do it. Mm-hmm. You're not going to be able to feed a community at all. Mm-hmm. Make the substrate, you sterilize it, then you inoculate it with the spore. And then the third stage you would call the flowering. So what our grow rooms, other people call them flowering rooms uh, or fruiting chambers. And they harvest that. Exactly. Yeah. We work with a company called Caps and Stems. They're up in Maine. And their only business is to either extract spores and make the first generation from one mushroom. That's their main business. Or to mix it in with the substrate to make those blocks and bags. People often ask us why we don't do it all ourselves. It takes a lot of infrastructure to do what they do. There's so many big machines that you need to have to make enough blocks for our business. And we're very little. Anthony and Agat, I think you've given us a really good background in how to grow mushrooms and how you do it in particular, your version of doing it. Now turn back to you as yourselves. What do you get out of doing this? I mean, obviously it's, it's become your income. It's your revenue stream. I assume. While we don't have to earn all our living from it, it is a profitable business. And that said, for me personally, being integrated into the farming community has been a a joy beyond, I, I would never guess my life would take me here.
And uh, I couldn't be more grateful. One of the things I love most is that we know people like Ira and Joan Zilnicki, uh, who's a fourth generation farmer, or eight hands at Carol's, and I, I'm, I'm flattered to know them and work with them. I mean, it's a beautiful community of people. But for me, I have a real big emotional relationship to the mushrooms, too. First, visually, from an artist's point of view, there's nothing. I mean, and I'm not the first artist to do this. I mean, uh, Robert Rauschenberg, Robert Stella, like Sarah, we're all mycologists. So there's a real relationship between artists and mushrooms because they're just visually incredible. They are little sculptures, you know, they are pieces of artwork. There's not a single one that's the same as the other. The colors are incredible. The shapes are incredible. I mean, just from that point of view, you um, you know, you're mind's eye is just so rewarded you know you're all being as an artist it's a growing it's an evolving a beautiful shape it's a, it's like a moving shape and it's like almost crystals or underwater sea creatures you know like even when people buy them they get to see them that's i think that's what people really like with our mushrooms is that we sell them in big in boxes all you know the whole mushroom which is a big cluster you know, in, in stores, they have to break them up in small pieces of like 100 grams or cut them. But we get to keep them whole. And they're sometimes three pounds, four pounds, five pounds each. And people really enjoy that. That's the first thing for me. And from an artist's point of view, the visual is just so rewarding and um, so beautiful. And then I have a very emotional uh, relationship to them. I feel like the art I make and the the art they make is very aligned. We both reuse and, you know, give life to uh, basically dead materials and rearrange them in different positions. And I could talk for hours about the the way I create my things and the way mushrooms are born and grow out of, you know, dead, dying and dead um, uh, material and create, give life again to the next generation of uh, the materials so they they create compost they create the you know the next animals can grow out of them and the flowers and plants so before, there's a lot of parallels there i used to go with my father who died now um, almost 30 years ago the two things i remember most about um, the time i spent with him was mushroom hunting uh, you know foraging and then going to the dump to look for treasures. You, you grew up in Corsica, right? I grew up in, in the northern part of Corsica. And that's where my father had a uh, farm-to-table restaurant, like where he really made and used every single thing around. So he foraged a, a lot and, you know, every part of the animal was used. And uh, I never wasted anything, you know. He was very good at uh, fixing things. So we would always, like, recuperate things and fix them up together and, you know built things so I've, I've always and then it's funny my uncle came to one of my shows in Italy and just was just wondering said I was doing the same thing my whole life basically like mm. creating and making things from from you know um detritus or like uh, thrown out things detritus detritus yeah. the mushrooms do the same thing the mushrooms do the same thing yes for me it's like it's completely a full a, a closing of an arc like you know, it's like I started with it just as a, you know, as a hobby with my father. And then the fact that we can grow them and the, the shapes, I mean, I create the same shapes too. My artwork is creates the same shapes with lost and found materials that I used to find in New York City or anywhere else or wherever I 
So there's always food also involved in my art. There's always sharing of food. And the mushrooms just give me that, you know, that feeling of like, we could actually feed the planet with this in a very easy way, you know? Like it's such great food and it's such great food to share and it grows really well. And I mean, for example, the blue oyster, which is my favorite, it grows between 38 degrees. It's growing outdoors right now and it grows again, still grows until 88 degrees. And if we could have that growing, you know, semi-commercially in everyone's garden, um, the blocks, if you made four blocks, each block gives you every three weeks, gives you at least a pound oyster so that it is a lot of food looking at my at my phone right now the temperature is actually 37 degrees yes. outside in that today right now there's some growing outdoors with the humidity in the air morning dew is almost enough for them to grow so it's it's really not that much water and um yeah if people could all have three of those blocks in their backyard they would get every three weeks at least a pound of food um, and at times three pounds and four pounds, you know. So when the when the temperatures are perfectly aligned, even if you break up the block and compost it, they mm. will go in on tiny little lumps of them yeah. all through the garden. So it's a, it's an amazing food source. You said that you thought this really could solve the world food problem. Are people talking about Mushrooms as a, as a planetary food source? More and more. There's definitely no doubt that people... Are, well, first of all, they're liking it more and more. It's an incredible food. And now more and more people are finding the medicinal just from eating it. I'm, just, I'm not talking about making antibiotics. I'm talking about basically what the, what the mushroom, while you eat it, what the benefits of it. Of um, We have people buying lion's mane in huge quantities because they realize... It promoted the the growing of brain by growing brain cells, brain cells. Oh. In your, yeah. So if you and you don't have to take pills so much as eat it is is enough. There is a JAMA Journal study that suggests that it decreases the rate of dementia increasing in some volumes, and that got a ton of um, yeah. Created excitement. Uh, Maitake, which is also known as hen of the woods, is also a very popular as a kind of super nutritious food. And Agat was reminding me that it's it has an anti-inflammatory mm -hmm. um, quality that is, I think, pretty well proven. Mm -hmm. um, but all mushrooms are, are, are nutritious, and that's without even getting into the medicinal potential. I was also thinking as you were talking, it hadn't occurred to me before, what kind of care do they need when they're just harvested? I mean, do they go bad in the end? Do they just shrivel? What happens to them over time? If it's about a two-week lifespan and in a refrigerated space. I see. Okay. The, I, the dried mushroom business on a kind of a national level mm -hmm. is as big as the fresh mushroom oh, business, sure. maybe bigger. So what we do mm -hmm. is probably a smaller percentage of the biggest biggest ones are you know drying them and, and having them rehydrated it's been said that a farm like ours or farms like ours have a 100 mile radius conserve you know really efficiently and that if you had one of those every 100 and 150 miles you know beyond mm -hmm. that 
or getting into a different operation. And that's for fresh mushrooms. We're also very interested in what the future may bring in terms of mushrooms for other uses, obviously medicinal, but also materials. And we would like to look into being a kind of our research and development level because Agat and I have no interest in quote unquote scaling up. We're just Mm. not scaling up type of people. Mushrooms we know can be used as building materials. They can be used as fabric, perhaps as paper. I would love to have a book made of mushrooms. Paul Stamets famously wears a, a hat made, a mushroom hat. Maybe not quite so famously, but certainly increasingly, people are being buried under mushrooms or in a mushroom shroud or... They're being composted by mushrooms. That's a dream. Yeah, it's a dream. I think in the Netherlands, they're doing it already in Norway. But not a week goes by that one of my family doesn't send me an article in the Times or some newspaper about how, uh, you know, in mushrooms are or about how people want to legalize psychedelic mushrooms or mushroom displays uh, just everywhere we turn they're really really amazing at uh reversing all toxic spills for a long time they've been using that and to reverse the use of pesticides which are basically for the beekeepers too there's so many like very simple options for mushroom growers and you know for mushrooms to be used and mycelium to be used um is all the supplements people are taking now for immunity you know like all these different ones but uh yeah the mushrooms are incredible and they're in gr- the mushroom business is growing more and more and people are more and more open to it and so, uh so they're having it's the the day the year of the decade maybe of the century maybe of the mushroom it's really coming into its into its oh, own right now i mean it's definitely a you know a new age type of food like they're well, now that we know that the effects of raising cattle and raising meats to, at, at the level that we eat it, at, uh, you know, on the planet, and the fact that we could do in a tenth of a hundredth of that space with very little effects on the environment, if not, you know. We could produce fivefold. And in- very little water. I'll take the moisture from the air. Yes. So they, you don't have to water them constantly like you would have to do grass or, you know. You could grow a lot of calories on a very small footprint. These are all very, very interesting and important things for people to know, people, our listeners who are, who are listening to us right now. And certainly I learned a lot when I came to visit you, but I a lot more now. So I'd like to end in a minute. I'd like to, because I have this one personal question about your child. What is it? What do, what do you think it'd be like for your child to grow up on a mushroom farm? Among other inputs, let's say, into his life are the mushrooms. What will it be like for, for him? He's a preteen, so he's, you know, he's moody. He's a preteen, so no matter what we do, it's not good for him. But I think, you know, it's going to definitely affect him. See, I didn't realize he was a preteen. I thought he was younger. In the long run, he's, you know, he's seeing it all. He's living through it. He's Eventually, we want him to work with us, like as a 12-year-old preteen, he has other things on his mind ab- uh, above that, but we hope that it will give him uh, an appreciation for food and the environment. We know it will it does, already. It Before we end, which we're going to have to do now, unfortunately, tell our listeners how they can find out more about, about your mushrooms online, and maybe I think you also, they can, people can come and see them, right? 
If people want to learn more about our farm, we welcome them. We are mattituckmushrooms.com. And if you contact a gatherer or I uh, ahead of time, we'll be happy to give you a, a tour. If it's summer, you can forage for your own mushrooms a bit on our farm. You can always come and buy your mushrooms here or find us. A, there's a calendar on our website where we are, but we're honestly, we're always here. So and they can come on anytime and buy some mushrooms. There's always something delicious. Year round, there's something to buy from you. Year round, mushrooms are available from you is what you're saying. Well, thank you very much. Thank you very much indeed. And I look forward to having this on the air on January 4th. But thank you very much, Anthony Holbrook. And thank you very much, Agat Snow. Thank you for having us. That was lovely. Thank you. Bye-bye then. You heard Agat Snow and Anthony Holbrook talking about their farm, Matajak Mushrooms. You can hear North Fork Works on the first Wednesday of the month at this time, and also anytime you like, as podcasts on hazelcarn.com. If you've enjoyed listening to this interview, please consider showing your appreciation at the donate button on our website, wpkn.org. Thank you very much indeed. This is Hazel Kahn.